Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This month we are looking at the biblical concept of margin. Uh, and it has to do with the way that we live our lives. And we've, we've titled the series Desperate House Lies because there are lies that we have bought into in our culture that keeps us living at such a frenzied pace that in sometimes it actually gets pretty desperate. And it has to do with this whole idea that we tend to live at the limits. We tend to live right up at the edge. And we do that because of these lies that we have bought into. And the trouble is that at the limits... If there's no margin in our life, if there's no resources, if there's no boundaries, if you will, the urgent ends up squeezing out the important. And that's why God designed our lives to be lived within margin. That's why he said, you will not work seven days. Every six days, you will take a day off. Because you can't live at that pace without that margin. And they are God-designed margins for our lives. And they happen in every area of our life. And the trouble is that our lives get so overloaded and overtaxed in our resources and in our time and in our energy that we don't have the time or the energy or the resources for the things that truly matter in life. And I believe one of the greatest hits that is taken by all of this is our relationships. I think it takes its toll very much in our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with our friends, our relationships with our families. Because you see, relationship happens in the margins. That's why God said, on the seventh day you will rest. That's my day. You don't work all the way up to the limits. You don't push all day. You you stop once a week because in that margin of rest, you nurture your relationship with me. I want to ask you this morning, if you are living at the limits, if you are pushing out all of the margin in your life and you have no space and what gets left over is what you give to your family or your friends or your God, if all you're giving them is the leftover, let me just ask you, how loved do you think they feel? Ask yourself, when you know that you're getting somebody's leftover time, does that make you feel particularly loved? See, relationships happen in the margin. And here's what happens is we want the best for our families. We truly do. I think we do. But we bought into this lie that if I just provide the perfect environment, then I will have the perfect family. If it's just, if I'm in the best neighborhood and the best home with the best schools, you know, if I can get my kid the best uh, gymnastics coach, the best music teacher, you know, if I can get them on the best soccer team, if I give them all of the best opportunities that I possibly can, then I have done my job of giving the best for my family. And that's a lie. That is a flat out lie. Because in giving, in attempting to give the best, we live at the limits. And with the best of intentions, what we end up doing is shortchanging our relationships. And on top of that, on top of that, we end up setting a bad pattern for our kids. They see how life works in your home. That's the kind of life that they're going to live. Proverbs 22, 6, very well-known passage of Scripture says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, I just want to key in on those first two words, train up. Because this isn't about just teaching. 
This is about mentoring. This is about modeling. This is about patterning a lifestyle for your children. And what scripture tells us is if you pattern this lifestyle in a certain way, that's going to be the lifestyle that your child's going to adapt for the rest of their life. And if you live a life that has no margin, that's the life you're going to pass on as an inheritance to your kids. Marginless living produces marginless living. And if you're going to provide margin for your children, it begins with you. And this isn't, by the way, just for parents. If you are a grandparent, if you are a teacher, if you are a coach, if you are a scout leader, if you're a den mother, if you work in our children's ministry here, if you work in our student ministries here, this applies to you. Because the bottom line is you are setting a pattern for those who are looking up to you. And marginless living is going to produce marginless living. But if we can learn to live with margin, we can help our children, we can help our families live lives with margin. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. This whole idea of how do you help your family establish margin? Because the truth is, it begins with you. There's a whole section of scripture, the whole section of the Bible that is called wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these are, these are called what, a, a, a section of scripture called wisdom literature. And they're there to give us guidelines on how we're to live our lives, particularly how to live this life with margin. So we're going to be looking through the wisdom literature in the Bible about how to live this life, how to live a patterned life of margin so that our kids and our families can establish margin for themselves. And here's the first thing. It's going to start with you. The first thing is you need to accept the reality of limits. That may not be any great insight to you. But the truth is we tend to live beyond the limits because we believe we have limitless resources and limitless time. But the truth is, the truth is that everyone, whatever their age, everyone has limits. Everything has limits. This room has a limit. It has a seating capacity. We can only fit so many chairs and so many people in this room. After that, we've exceeded the limits. There is a height limit on the overpass to a freeway. If the height limit, you might have seen the sign, says height limit, 14 feet, 6 inches. If you are driving a truck 14 feet, 7 inches, you will discover why there was a height limit put there. There is a limit to the amount of miles per gallon your car will get. There is a limit to how far you can drive on a tank of gas. My wife reminds me of this all the time because she is much better at limits and margin than I am. You know, it gets down to a quarter tank, you know, she's going to the gas station. Me, if it's not in the red, I'm not doing my job. You know, it's got to, you know, if I get to the red, I got at least another 10, 15 miles. You know, why should I pull in now? That's a waste of my time. But the truth is you can only go so far in a tank again. And I'll be honest with you, I have run out of gas more times than she has. (laughs) And we need, all of us, need to accept the reality of the human condition. And the human condition is we all have limits. God created us as finite beings. Job chapter 14, verse 5. The days of mortals are determined. You, O Lord, he's speaking to God, you have decreed the number of their months and have set limits they cannot exceed. Every one of us gets so much time in this world. It might be different for every one of us, but we only get so much. And it's the same. There are only 24 hours in a day. There are only seven days in a week. You know, it, there's limits on it. It only goes so, and you don't get to store these up. You don't, this isn't like vacation time that you can store and put in a bank somewhere. There's no bank for your time. It gets 24 hours and you will live that 24 hours that day. 
You will not be able to come on your deathbed and say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I saved up. I got a month's worth of extra living here. I saved it all up. There's no place to save it. You will use up all 24 hours of your day. You will use up every seven days of your week, every 52 weeks of your year, every year of your life. It will be spent. There is a limit on it. And the trouble is, like I was saying before, we live as if we are limitless, that we have all kinds of time. We have all kinds of resources. We have all kinds of energy. And the older you get, you, you start to wise up and realize you don't have all the energy. But most of us live as though we do. And the only criteria when it comes to our calendar, the only criteria we look at is if the date is open, we can fill it. And we do it not only with our own schedules, we do it with our kids. Dr. Alvin Rosenfeld wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Overscheduled Child. He writes this. Kathy and Paul are a little anxious. After three years of trying, they are thrilled to finally be parents. And Julia is delightful eight-month-old with wonderful disposition. But lately, they have noticed that Julia isn't developing at anywhere near the pace of her cousin Andrew, who, although a month younger, is already crawling and even saying, Mama and Dada. I'm trying to be calm about all of this, says Kathy. The pediatrician tells me her development is well within the normal range, but I'm worried that maybe Julia is getting bored and will become lazy. She's home alone with the sitter all day. I really want her to be smart. So she and Paul sit down and order a kit that includes video, books, and a chart to track their baby's development. It's Tuesday, 6.45 a.m. Belinda, age seven, is still asleep. School doesn't start until nine, and her mother usually lets her sleep until 7.30 but not on Tuesdays. That's the day Belinda has her 7.30 piano lesson. From from it, she goes immediately to school, which lasts until three. Then the babysitter drives Belinda to gymnastics from four to 6.30 class. While Tuesday is the busiest day, the rest of the week is filled up too with religious school and choir practice, ballet, and Belinda's favorite horseback riding. She's pretty worn out by the end of the day, her mother laments, but you know she's much more alert for the morning piano lesson than she was for the Friday afternoon slot we had before. Tate, age 12, is one heck of a hockey player. He started skating at two. At first, his father, a former prep school hockey star himself, did the teaching. A few months later, Tate Tate started formal lessons. By age seven, Tate showed real promise and started playing on his New Jersey Town's youth hockey program on a demanding schedule. Tate is is so good now, he's on the county all-star team and plays aggressive hockey year-round. He has four practices a week with early morning ice times and Saturday games. For tournaments and championship games, he has traveled as far as Virginia and Maine. Next year, the coach wants him to start practicing six days a week. Sure, the time commitment is large, not only for Tate, but also for his parents, who attend every game, and for his sister, Morgan, who has to go too. But his mother, Elaine, says, I really enjoy watching him play, and besides, she adds ruefully, he still needs me to tie his skates for him. And that would all be funny if it were not true. But the truth is, we have overscheduled our children. And we have not taught them anything about limits. Proverbs 90, verse 10 says, The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. And then verse 12, this prayer, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Teach us to number our days aright. Not so that we could fill them all up, jam-packed, but so that we would have wisdom to understand we only get so much and to build into those days the margin that will give us the wisdom to set the limits, to set a margin. And I just want to ask you this morning, what is your schedule teaching your child about limits? Do you sign them up for every single activity that's available to them? You see, wise parents establish margin for themselves as well as for their kids. Wise parents do that. They understand that. And just because you have it doesn't mean you have to spend it. And just because it's an open date on the calendar doesn't mean you have to fill it. And just because your child wants it doesn't mean you have to buy it for them. And just because they had a bouncy house clown magician and pony rides at his friend's birthday party doesn't mean they need to have it too. You need to help your child establish margin. Everybody's limits are different, but you need to know your own limits and you need to know your child's limits so you can help a step back and establish some margin for them. So how do you do that? How do you establish margin? Okay, here is the secret. I'm going to give it to you. In fact, I'm going to have you repeat it after me because I want to really ingrain this in you. This is the secret. Repeat this after me. No! Come on, come on. One, two, three. Oh, come on. That's a wimpy no. One, two, three. No! No! It's not that hard. You can say that word. Sometimes you need to say No. And you don't even have to give a reason for it because it's an open schedule day. Why not? Because we're setting margin. My sister, when her kids were growing up, used to have a sign on the refrigerator. What part of no don't you understand? (laughs) And I think it was more for herself than for her kids because sometimes as parents, no means really, well, maybe. If you hound me enough, if you whine long enough, if you wear me down, then okay. That's what no means for most parents. No should mean no. Because you need to establish these margins for your kids. If you do not say no to yourself, and you cannot say no to your kids, you are going to set them up for failure. It is a recipe for disaster. Because they will never learn how to live within the margins of their life. And you know it's not comfortable for you to live that way. Why would you wish that on your kids? Proverbs 15, 15. The happy, for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. It is better to have little with fear for the Lord than have a great treasure with inner turmoil. Inner turmoil, that's the stress and anxiety and the fear that pushes us beyond our limits. He says, it is better to set margins and to live comfortably without that turmoil than it is to have everything and do everything and be everywhere and have all the anxiety and stress that comes with it. Accept the reality of limits for yourself as well as for your kids. A second thing is appreciate the value of pain. This, too, is an important lesson. Now, let me say up front, unless you're really, really sick, okay, nobody enjoys pain. Nobody enjoys pain. But that doesn't mean that it isn't beneficial. You know, we have the saying, no pain, no gain, because pain produces growth sometimes. There is a beneficial side. In fact, God created the human body with a pain system. 
And he created the pain, in our, here, our ability to distinguish pain as alarm system for our bodies. And when you are experiencing pain, it means there is something wrong. It's the pain that gets you to go to the doctor. And the pain of stress and anxiety and depression is a symptom of something deeper. We talked about it last week. It's a heart issue. And the pain that you are feeling is put there by God to move us to action. Saying goes, people don't change when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. (laughs) And that is true. That is really true. When the pain of living with this stress and anxiety, when the pain of all of that limitless living, um, pain with marginless living, when that becomes greater than the pain of making the change, that's when we will make the change. So I want to ask you, what's your pain threshold right now? God may be trying to tell you, it is time to make some changes. The stress and anxiety and pain that you are carrying yourself is something that is meant there to move you to action. And you will not change until you realize there is much less pain in making the actual change. God uses pain as discipline. Proverbs 3.12, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And the writer to Hebrews goes even further. No, plain pain, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But he says, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. There is a long-term benefit to pain. And your goal as a parent is to help your children understand the value of pain. To understand the meaning and the reason for discipline. In fact, your goal as a parent is to provide discipline for the undisciplined. It's as simple as that. Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote a book, Boundaries with Kids. They write this description of children. Children are little people who are out of control of themselves and attempting to control everyone around them. They do not want to take control of themselves to adapt to the requirements of mom and dad. They want mom and dad to change the requirements. Children do not possess the wisdom for protecting or preserving their own lives. They do not know right from wrong, dangerous from safe, good from better, life from death. They think not about the outcome of their actions, but about immediate gratification. I know some adults that's pretty descriptive of. (laughs) But it has to do with this whole idea of discipline. If you do not set margin for your kids, if you do not set the limits, you are setting them up for limitless living marginless living. And when you do that, you're setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for stress. You're setting them up for anxiety. You're setting them up for self-centeredness. Sometimes, sometimes, you actually need to let your children suffer the consequences of their behavior. Sometimes they need to understand that when you do this, this is what happens. And I've seen over and over again where parents run to the rescue of their kids and the kids never learn the lessons. And they're always bailing them out and they're always covering up for them and they're always taking care of them. And, they're always, and they do it with the best of intentions. They think they are loving them. But what you are doing is you are setting them up for never experiencing the pain of their consequences. Again, book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 19. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. In other words, they will never learn the lesson. If you keep rescuing, they will never learn the lesson and they will never grow from it. 
Now, let me make a distinction here because there's different types of pain. And this is really important. There is pain that is harmful and pain that is hurtful. You don't want your children to suffer harm. Okay, so you rescue from pain that is harmful. But if it's just hurtful, you might need to let them suffer it a little bit because they need to learn the lessons. And what you want to do is help them learn to grow through the pain. I remember very, very distinctly with my daughter. Tried out for the high school soccer team. And she had played soccer since she was, I don't know, like six years old. And loved soccer and practiced hard and worked hard. Went to all the practices. Went to all of the tryouts. Did her very, very, very best. And I remember on a Sunday afternoon driving down to the high school with her to see the roster, to see who made the team. And her name wasn't on it. I was crushed. (laughs) She was crushed. And I didn't know what to say to her except, honey, I'm so sorry. That's kind of life in this world. We don't always get what we want. It doesn't always work out the way we planned. But you're still my favorite soccer player. You want a comfort in the pain that might be harmful but you also want to help them understand that pain, though it is hurtful, though it sometimes hurts bad, it's also a part of the growing process. And there's actually a benefit and a value to pain. You can't help, they cannot avoid pain for the rest of their life, so you need to help them work through it. And then the third thing has to do with gratitude. And it's acquiring a heart of gratitude for yourself as well as for your kids. I think the thing that drives our marginless living are these feelings of discontent. I think that's really at the heart of it. We're afraid we're going to miss out. We're afraid we're going to fall behind. We're afraid our kids are going to miss out. Our kids are going to fall behind. And discontent becomes a way of life for us. We are never satisfied. And discontent drives us to marginless living because we're pushing the limits because we want to get and be and do all that we can get, be, and do. And so it's that discontent that drives us. And, and then to add to that, which is already inside of us, we, have, we are bombarded every day with ads telling us how discontent our life is until we buy this product. It, it's all over the place. Just on television alone, the number of 30-second TV commercials that is seen in one year by the average child, 20,000. In one year, the average child sees 20,000 television commercials, most of them telling them, you got to have this or your life will not be fulfilled. Most of those are lies. <laughs> and it's estimated by the time you turn age 65, you will have seen somewhere upwards of 2 million television commercials, just television, constantly telling us, constantly feeding us this dissatisfaction. And the only way to combat that, we talked about a little bit last week, is developing gratitude, developing generosity, developing a giving heart. And instead of looking up the success ladder, instead of looking up uh, the prosperity ladder, start looking down. Instead of thinking about all the things you don't yet have, look at what you do. I was reminded of that this very, very week. Thursday morning, woke up to a cold shower. Our water heater went out. Yeah, 
And I felt, actually, I couldn't complain, I guess, too much because it lasted 18 years, which is pretty good for water heaters from what I understand. But it finally gave out. It just, you know, started leaking all over the place. It was a mess downstairs. I had to turn it off, you know, the whole thing. I had to get to the office. I had to go. Then I called, um, scheduled for the plumber to come out. He was supposed to come out in the afternoon. So I had to take all my work home, did all my work at home. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. He finally shows up, quarter to five. And, uh, and he, of course, he doesn't have a water heater with him and he doesn't have time to fix it now. So we'll have to reschedule and come back tomorrow to actually do the work, you know. So he took a look at it. And he says, oh, yeah, you need to replace that. Said, Thank you very much. I, I figured that part out. So, so sure enough, so Friday afternoon, I come into the office. I got to get as much work I can do, do here at the office in the morning. Take my work home, sitting around waiting. Supposed to be there at noon. Shows up at 2. Finally shows up, got the water heater, starts to work. And I am, I am like, I am so ticked off. I am so frustrated. I'm so angry. I'm angry. I'm angry at the plumber. I'm angry at the home warranty uh, policy that we have. I'm angry that I'm going to have to pay out of my pocket this much money because I wasn't supposed to. And I'm just fuming and fussing and I'm just so upset. And then I'm working on this sermon. (laughs) And God just has this way, you know, it's just like, I got to be really careful about the sermons I choose to preach. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there and I'm working on this sermon. I'm thinking, you know, a good third of the world would be happy just to have clean water to bathe in. And I'm grousing because my water heater went out and I had to take a cold shower this morning. See, it's turning my vision away from up the prosperity ladder to look down at what would have been provided for me. See, here's the thing. Discontent is never satisfied. Discontent is never satisfied. Hear that. It is never satisfied because the minute you get what you think is going to fulfill the contentment in you, there will be something else. I guarantee you. And if you haven't learned that by now, you're really slow. (laughs) Discontent is never satisfied. But if you learn to live within the margins with contentedness and with gratitude, you begin to understand what you have has all come to you as a gift from God. And it doesn't depend on you working all those extra hours seven days a week without taking a day off. It really comes from the hand of God. Proverbs 10, says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. And if you are stressed and anxious about what you don't have and you are working on and pushing the limits and you're living on the edge because you're trying to provide for stuff that you want, that you don't need, that is the trouble that he is talking about there. And God did not bring that to you. He provides wealth without the trouble. It doesn't, not not without the work, by the way, okay? But without the stress and anxiety. He's talking about margin-filled living. And it's learning to be grateful. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crop. That starts with just recognizing how wealthy you really are and honoring God with that, with gratitude, with giving, with generosity. It's understanding what he has given to you and then sharing it with others. Honor the Lord with your wealth. What do you do? What do you teach your children? When your child gets a gift from somebody, when he gets something from somebody, what, is, what do you say to them? What do you say? Say thank you. Now that is a real simple lesson. But it reinforces this whole idea that 
you didn't earn this. Somebody just gave this to you. Say thank you. Here's another thing you can do. Very simple thing. If you don't do this yet with your family, when you gather around the dinner table, give thanks. Now, not everybody does that, but I would encourage you. It is, it is reminding your children this comes from God. Now, some of you, it's going to start with just gathering around the dinner table. <laughs> You know, because you're doing fast food, you know, driving through, because that's your schedule, you know, and, and you know that because yesterday you were cleaning the car and you were digging all those french fries out of the seat cushions, okay? Just gathering around the dinner table together in the schedule and then giving thanks and showing gratitude to God. Gratitude is an indicator of a life with margin. If you cannot be grateful, the chances are you are living at the limits. Because gratitude is the indicator of a life of margin. And what you want to do is you want to help your kids move from this sense of entitlement to a sense of gratitude. And if you buy everything for them and give them everything that they want without even having to earn it, you're underscoring, you're, under, you're, you're striking that through. You're undoing it. You're giving them a sense of entitlement, like I deserve it because all I have to do is ask. And then when they don't get it, they're going to feel wronged. Like you did them wrong because you didn't give them what they asked. What you want to do is teach your children the value and the reward of earning, of working for something. Here's a great, great passage in Scripture. Proverbs 10.5. A wise youth harvests in the summer. Get a job, son. <laughs> you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? That is like... Scripture in verse, let me give it to you again. It's Proverbs 10, 5, 5. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but the one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. Son, you don't want to be a disgrace. Summer's coming up. Get a job. It's right there in the Bible. Because it builds in them a sense of accomplishment and reward. And it helps them understand that you earn your way in this world and you become a lot more grateful for the things that you have worked for than the things that were given to you. When our kids were young, got the driving age, they had friends whose parents gave them, not used cars, gave them brand new cars. And they looked at us and said, don't even think it. (laughs) We don't do that. But that's the culture that we live in. Teach them to earn. And what you're doing when you do that, by the way, is you're helping them distinguish between their desires, which may be legitimate, and their discontent, which is not. See, that's the thing. See, discontent is very short-term. Very, very dis- discontent is a very short-term motivator. It doesn't last. doesn't last. So if they have to work for something, in fact, look at this next verse. In fact, the reference there on your outline is wrong. Let me give it to you because it's a really important one. Proverbs 13, verses 11 and 12. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What he is saying there is there's a difference between legitimate desire and this whole idea of discontent. Discontent will not last. But if you make them earn and save and build up to the point where they can actually purchase, what you are teaching them is the difference between the two. If discontent gets gratified right away, then then they continue to live with discontent. 
if they earn and save and develop and finally get enough together to buy what it is they really want, they're going to make a decision. Okay, do I really, really want this? Because I worked really hard for all of this money. I, I worked really, really hard for this. Now, now I've got it saved up. Do I really want to spend it on that or do I want to spend it on something else? And the, just the delayed gratification, the process of earning and saving and, and storing up and preparing to make the purchase will help them distinguish between just their discontent and a true legitimate desire. Because a true legitimate desire will keep them focused and it's worth the saving for. Just satisfying discontent is not. That makes sense. See, that's what you want to do. Parenting must always keep its eye on the future because you're developing a young life and their future. And the patterns that you live your life by now are the patterns that your child will follow. I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it here at the close. It really starts with you. It really starts with you. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to know this morning your heavenly father knows your limits. Everybody's limits are different, but he knows yours and he doesn't want you or your kids to live with the stress and the pain of pursuing those limits to the very edge. He doesn't want you to live that way. He really doesn't. He invites you to step back from the edge. Take a deep breath to live within margins recognize all that he has given to you and be thankful be thankful for his generosity and his goodness expressed to you and instead of pushing this never ending drive of discontent just give thanks I want to invite you this morning as we close just take a deep breath just hold it let it out how he wants you to live with room to breathe so take that deep breath and and give him thanks today give him thanks for your family give him thanks for your friends for your parents for your kids for the good things he has put into your life just give him thanks and then turn around and offer it all back up to him and surrender surrender your day timer surrender your schedule your kids schedule just pray this prayer that the psalmist prayed. Lord, teach me to number my days aright. Simple prayer. Make it yours as we close. Lord, you have abundantly provided for us. We live with a standard of living that most of the world could only dream of. And yet it seems no matter how much we have and how much is available to us, we are discontent. Because of that, we are driven to live at the limits that only produces stress and anxiety, depression, and all this other stuff. It affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, it affects us spiritually. And my prayer for every one of us this morning is simply this, teach us to number our days aright so that we might gain wisdom and live life as you designed it pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. 